Europe finally lost its composure and spoke harshly against the CCP by calling it death, signaling the final break of the partnership between the EU and China. The lockdown in Shanghai has become a farce. So, what is the story of an American attorney working in Shanghai? Professor Victor Davis Hanson talked about、uh, where we are right now with the war in Ukraine, and he believes the war is getting more complex and probably lengthy. Welcome to Wei and Kathy Show. I'm your host Wei Fang. I'm Kathy Zhang. All right. So this afternoon, Kathy interviewed、uh, Professor Dr. Hansen.、Mm-hmm. So pretty much that's the you know the how to say most updated news or point of view on the war of the Ukraine, right? That's right. As we know that、uh, Dr. Hansen is from the Hoover Institute of Stanford University, and he's a military historian. Okay, he got a very in-depth observation on. You know, basically, whatever things that he casts his attention to, especially on the military and the war. Yeah, and also he uh, explained uh, why there are different,、uh, view, very different viewpoints on this war in America. Yep. So, what is、uh, Professor Hansen's point of view? Stay tuned. So, before we proceed, please remember to press the like and、uh, the the and also the sub. Make sure you are still stay subscribed and、uh, press that little bell so that it can give us a little boost. And、uh, also remember to share our program if you see it's good and、uh, help us grow here. All right. Let's.、Uh, Talk about the first、uh, piece of、uh, topic today. Okay, the first topic today has to do actually, what is happening with the European Union and China?、Mm, what happened? So yeah, last night at the、uh, European Parliament, there was、um, the European Union Foreign Policy Chief, and his name is、uh, Joseph、uh, Borrell. Okay, he made a statement there, and during the statement, he pretty much said、uh, Chinese leader did not want to talk about Ukraine. During Friday, last Friday's online summit, okay, there was a summit, and the EU summit was a dialogue of death. So, Kathy, you know, European diplomats, they 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 tend to be always like a courteous, right?、Mm, very they, they are, polite. Yeah, they they are not very outgoing and just speak out your mind. And they are, you know, they are diplomatic. They are very diplomatic. So it is very very unusual、um, frankness. You know, speaking to the entire European Parliament, saying that、uh, our talk with the Chinese leader is a dialogue of death. So what happened is、uh, last Friday, okay, the the President of European Commission and the President of the European Council, all right, the top two leaders of the EU, held this online meeting with、uh, Xi Jinping, the General Secretary of China, and the、um, and the Premier of、um, of China, Li Keqiang. All right. So during that talk, so what happened? All right. So the European Union really, really want to persuade or convince、uh, the CCP to, you know, to show their attitude and help stop the war because they are pretty much as、uh, stand behind Russia. With all those hope, with this as、uh, such a carefully arranged summit, what happens during the dialogue during the、uh, talk?、Um, Xi Jinping and Li Keqiang pretty much. Almost completely ignore the concern or the issue that、uh, the Ukraine Ukraine war. They are pretty much saying, "Let's be positive.、Uh, we are very peaceful people on the EU. Okay, EU China relationship. Make up your mind. Don't follow U.S." 
Okay, I don't know how you feel about that. Okay, let's just put ourselves in the shoes of the European Union leaders. Okay, they got this war happened 40 days ago. Okay, Russia, you know, just invaded Ukraine, and if Ukraine fell, the next one would be the Baltic nations and the Poland and uh, Slovakia and the Moldova and uh, you know and so on and so forth. Okay, they pretty much just face them. They probably will be the next target. That's the first concern. That really that war really got them worried. Okay. The second is in order to sanction Russia, right? Mm -hmm. They have to stop the import of the oil or natural gas. They are, you know, they are between a, a rock and a hard place. They don't know, you know, where to go. Mm. It's very uncomfortable. The third, nearly four million people getting out of the nation from the U Ukraine. And what, you know, where do they go? They have to receive them, right? So the Poland or the neighboring country they have to receive them. The entire Western Europe have to receive them. That's the third type of anxiety or the stress. Mm. The fourth, as the you know, Russia take over, took over the nuclear power plant in Ukraine. They don't know what would happen. This war, you got those, you know, radiating part, you know, um, reactor there, and if that's that's hurt, the European will have its, uh, you know, utter disaster. So that's another worry. And the the fifth one, of course, the Putin has been basically threatening implicitly that uh, he could use, uh, you know, the the tactic nuclear weapon. Mm. So that also got them all, they're worried. So pretty much they they got their fire in their in their front yard. Okay, and as the fire burned, they could come into the house. So they were so concerned. However, the leaders of China, okay, precisely speaking, the leaders of the CCP care nothing about it. They pretty much just said, you know, our relationship don't follow U.S. Okay, let's build a constructive relationship without addressing the European, European Union's utmost concern or, you know, anxiety at that time. So that really, really um, upset the European Union's uh, leaders, including this Borrell, okay, this uh, foreign policy chief, then spoke very harshly saying that it was a dialogue of death. So how do I understand this? Okay, I just want to share you my point of view on the surface, okay. Well, it, it, it's basically, okay, um, China has been, um, so, so Xi Jinping was, did a miscalculation. He couldn't realize that what is the concern of the European Union? So he still go on his usual path, saying that don't follow U.S. You know, let's make friends. To, you know, between us, let's partner. Let's move into the future. While well, they got a big fire, big battle happening in their, you know, forefront. Uh, at, yeah, the, the front yard, and then it's just a misjudgment, miscalculation. So, so Xi Jinping is really we. Don't, I don't know who you know who is surrounding him. Okay, but it's it must be some pe the people of. Uh, you can even say it's, it's stupidity, okay? But they are there, they give him this advice, and in front, it, it, you know, just uh, facing the leaders of the European Union, and he could just say things like that. And there's a, I would say this is the, how to say, the situation on the surface. Deeper there, you can tell that how, how selfish, how selfish the CCP. They only care about their own thing. They cannot feel how the European Union feels. Mm. Okay, and then the third one is most important. How did European Union came to this place? For many years, European Union has been, you know, working with the CCP very closely, including when there's, a, you know, when there's a human rights violation in China, European Union are usually the last one who spoke out about, uh, uh, you know, against it, or even not just ignore it. Why? 
because both sides try to make you know make use of these, each other. For for CCP, of course, they see U.S. as the you know ultimate enemy. Okay, so they need to pull European close to itself. So in two ways. First, if U.S. does not sell technology to us, we're going to go to European. You don't want to make money. We'll let them make money. And the, th the second, they, they always try to just grab, just pull European Union aside so that we can, you know, we can, we can compete with or rival the U.S., which is the, you know, the only remaining superpower after the, the end of the Cold War. To the European Union, it's, it's a similar thought. Okay? They don't want to be living you know, under the shadow of the U.S. They want to become the third, how to say, you know, polar of the, of the Earth. Okay, understandably, right? So they were the center of the world only just as recent as 100 years ago. Okay, and now they, they just, uh, they become the much less influential. That's why they set up this European Union, right? So, however, I think the mistake that they make, they don't, they did not, they couldn't tell what kind of nature is a CCP regime. They thought that's just another, you know, the normal government or country in the Far East. They don't know it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an evil empire, okay? It's an evil regime that are, well, who will only hurt you and have all this ill calculation, ill intention. So they draw too close with the European, uh, with China, or say with the CCP. So when it comes to this war, you know, when in, in Chinese we have a word saying that, as saying that uh, at the time of uh, the crisis, um, you are recognized who are your true friends and who are your true enemies. And this is what Ukraine war taught the European Union. So I think going forward, I think the partnership, the trust has, com has completely broken down. And uh, I think as gentlemen, European Union probably will not uh, speak too harshly going forward. But I think they have learned to recognize that CCP is not a true friend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they'll keep a distance. And, um, but if better, if they become strong, you know, with the, with the CCP aligned with the U.S., that would be better. But um, I'm not sure they are there yet. But at least it's good progress, you know, when they recognize what is true CCP. So I don't know how you think. That's, this is what happened there. So a major partnership between European Union and the CCP has broken pretty much, which mm -hmm. has happened yesterday. Okay. So... Well. All right. Yeah, the second piece of news, let's talk about uh, China, all right? So we know this is a pandemic lockdown, okay? Different, as we experienced this, right? Government overreach and saying that you have to get, a, you know, I, I need to be careful with my word, otherwise, the, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the program will be, will be, you know, banned. Anyway, so you know what happened here, okay? But in China, over there, they, their approach is not to just coexist, co-live with the, the virus. You know, now the Omicron is uh, spreading in China, and then the government policy is uh, um, zero, zero COVID strategy, okay? They pretty much just ask everybody to stay home uh, unless they, you know, unless they, they are called out to do this uh, nuclear, how to say, nuclear acid test, which involved, involved tens of thousands of people every time they test that. Um, they do that. So this is what happened in China. So a lot, a lot of, you know, just a lot of things happened there. There's the human suffering. And then, as we all know, that uh, Omicron is only just a flu-like type of uh, pandemic. Mm -hmm. But they, they, they chose to freeze the entire um, city with the 25 million people. So we heard of, you know, a lot of sad story. You know, kids, baby, who are positive, uh, po you know, tested positive, 
was taken away from the mother. Yeah, actually, we now have a picture of it okay. uh, in the story that I'm going to tell. Okay. okay. And the mother, mother tasted the baby's saliva mm -hmm. so that she, was, she would get infectious. She would test positive so she can stay with the, with the baby. It's just as sad as that. A lot of stories like that. And the people who are sick, got acute disease, just die because the, because the ICU was closed because somebody working at ICU tested positive. They closed ICU. Mm -hmm. And this just happened all over you know, Shanghai. And then, so one particular attorney, all right, a you know, business attorney, okay, and um, he's in the Shanghai. And then, so he wrote yeah, the he tweet, right? He actually took uh, took a journal, mm -hmm. okay, on Twitter to share what's happening every day. Um, and this uh, attorney called uh, Jared Nelson, he's an American lawyer working in Shanghai right now. He and his he actually has two little kids with him. Okay, so it looks like the place that he was uh, he is living in, in there in Shanghai had a much earlier lockdown. Mm -hmm. Okay, so on March 17th, mm -hmm. he is sharing, it's not before the lockdown in his place, and saying COVID in Shanghai is good bad news. New cases are slightly down from before, okay? That's the situation at that time. But he said um, more lockdowns in his company, more than 80% of staff are in some kind of a home lockdown. And in his apartment building, a girl's parents were both suddenly locked down in their offices, so the girl had to stay with them. And uh, he also shared, constant change is nothing new for us here in Shanghai. The city is never not changing, but the pace of the new updates for COVID, especially at the district, at the neighborhood level, has been profound and extremely challenging to navigate. Then it comes to the day two of uh, the lockdown in his uh, apartment building. He said, uh, look at that. The, he shared how they are doing the testing. Like everyone else, I know there's a, in, here in Shanghai, our apartment community is closed because of COVID with no one allowed in and out. And they have like 6,000 plus residents there required to test yesterday and again today. And uh, so then uh, comes to day 12. He wrote, our apartment manager ran out of drinking water. So a black market popped up today. A guy shared a video on WeChat, which is the Chinese um, social media, uh, of a place behind some kind of building. And he went there to find a bunch of, uh, that person has a bunch of uh, eggs and the water. Price is very high, but uh, okay to him. RMB $32 for a 24 pack. And that's the day 12 of uh, COVID lockdown. So the same day, he also tweeted, he, they received some order, okay? So that it contains a one small carton of milk, one steak, one jar of olives, a bottle of uh, a Jack Daniels that uh, he probably will exchange to someone in the neighborhood uh, for you know, other things. And uh, he said, uh, that's a result of several hours of searching for delivery. They put into four orders and only this one came in. And he also shared the highlight. The highlight is one bottle of sparkling juice, which really made his little kids such a joy, okay? 
and then to the day 16 of the lockdown, and he said that the food is a key thing on people's mind. We're not allowed to leave home, so delivery is the only way. He was up at 6 a.m. In, in trying to get any kind of de delivery, but nothing was available whole day. The next day, he said uh, um, the food remained a priority. As usual, he woke up at 6 a.m. trying to order deliveries. He had a 10 apps that he circled uh, around and tried to you know, get uh, orders. No success. Day 19 of the lockdown, they got a delivery again. But the, the previous day, they got a delivery, okay? And uh, which such a great news to them and the, some nice vegetables, he said. And, uh, but the bag broken when he was uh, taking, walking home with the bag of the vegetables. Look at the, you know, that's the nice vegetable he got. And uh, then he also shared that he looked back their testing history, and it was the 12th negative testing in a row, okay? And, uh, but he said, I'm still not allowed to leave. If I try, they will arrest and detain me. Okay, so this lawyer, I just choose some of uh, his journal to share with his story. Um, he was sort of lucky, you know, sometimes he can get the food delivered, but another Westerner, his name is uh, Edward Lawrence. He's a, a journalist uh, for the BBC based in Shanghai. And on April 4th, he shared, Shanghai's uh, strict lockdown has been extended indefinitely and it's not, still not in, impossible. And he said it's, it's still impossible to order food and water. Got up at 5.30 a.m. again, but still system gridlock. He shared the screenshot. He tried, tried to place his order. His basket depleted as essentials sold out. He said madness. And then he shared, nobody's allowed outside. Not even one person to collect essentials. Given vegetable yesterday by government, but only enough for a couple of days. Need meat, rice, eggs, and most importantly, water. Many of my friends in the same position. What about the elderly who don't use apps? So that's the journalist in Shanghai. And the lawyer, Jared Nelson, also shared a video. Let's take a look. It's basically, it's the residents in the community in Shanghai finally broke out the lockdown because the only reason, no food. So look at people. Yeah, as you can see that medical staff tried to stop them. Mm -hmm. And finally, um, see, yeah, more and more people just... Pretty much the enough is enough. I'm breaking free here. And pretty much people are searching for food. Yeah, right. Now, in the, like with a potato, with an onion, and another um, post that uh, Jared uh, Nelson shared, just a big kind of, it's, but it's a really kind of a little bit of rotten onion, uh, a couple of uh, potato, and he, it was like such a delight for them. Okay, mm. they can receive it at least. And he also shared like the babies, okay, mm. the babies, quarantined babies, uh, quarantined babies in Shanghai, look at that. 
And he just he retweeted someone else's tweet. Yeah, there's no parents around. Mom's not around. You see, they just put it there yeah, for days. Yeah, a few of them in one crib. Yeah. Look at that. And then the person who originally tweeted saying that、uh, the government actually, because there are a lot of talking about it, and the, the government put out some kind of、uh, explanation, trying to say it's just a rumor. You know, see how they are helping the babies and things like that. But still, look at that. Yeah, and、uh, okay,、um, and some background here. Okay, so as of now. Per CDC of Shanghai, they got a CDC there. Okay, Shanghai CDC of China, CDC of Shanghai. Per CDC of Shanghai, as of now,、um, altogether ninety one ninety one thousand people test positive.、Mm-hmm. Okay, and then how many people died? Can you guess how many people died of this、uh, Omicron pandemic, which the government is locking down entire nation, entire country, and moving one hundred thousand people, including thirty、uh, thousand troops. Into Shanghai and control, making sure nobody get out of where they live. And、uh, how many deaths out of this ninety thousand, ninety-one thousand, you know, infected people? Okay, and、uh, guess. Okay, I'll give the answer next. Zero. Nobody died. All right. So, yeah. So that's what happened. This is really just a flu. You know, if you take like ninety thousand people in the natural, you know, natural death rate,、mm-hmm. you got seventeen people should die. But they are recorded as zero people, and because of that, and then they lock it down, and then、um, in such a harsh manner. Okay, and what's the reason behind it? Okay, so pretty much because Shanghai have their own policy, there has been the Shanghai municipal government. Their way is to really just、uh, this called a Jinjun Fang Yi. Okay, just precisely only lock down the place. There, where they find someone positive, versus the central government saying that zero COVID cases shall be founded. So it's because of becoming so-called a, a struggle between different、um, different policies, and then it, it become a political political battle. So somebody has to lose, somebody will win. So because of that, you know, it's pretty much just a political decision. So the reason why you know we in the last、uh, two months, how to say,、uh, two two shows. We went through all those details and show you what it,、um, you know, what happened in Shanghai. You know, we talk about government overreach in this country. I mean, yeah, in the U.S. And、uh, now it's、um, this is what a socialist over, you know, social socialist country. What type of over overreach is that, right? We should not, we should never, ever, ever have U.S. become that way. But if we lost this country to the socialists, it will become a situation like that. We'll just see a earlier version of that, so which hopefully will never come true. All right, so okay, so before we move on, and、uh, I want to say thank you,、uh, Theo Frestas, three three zero for your donation. Yeah, no, haven't seen that for you know for a while. <laughs> wow, thank so, you. So yeah, your your donation is very、um, you know encouraging to us. And you said keep up the good work. I hope you are interviewed by some other major YouTube channels like、uh, Tim Pool, Viva Frey, or the Robin Report.、Um, that might help boost you.、Uh, yeah, you know, I'm sure that will be the case. And thank you for your you know suggestion and reminder. And if you know for those of you who watch other shows, if you can just post it there in their comment area, they could watch it and、uh, you know. Got some idea, and then we would,、uh, you know, we could、uh, reach out to them. But usually, it's、uh, it's better for a third party to recommend us to them.、Um, yeah, but、uh, we'll also try. Thank you for your suggestion and f- for your donation.
Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else that we can read from the before we move on to Victor Hansen's interview? Right. All right. And uh, okay. Um, okay. And uh, lucky numbers, numbersman, your ties look less good this week. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> okay. Um, we'll make improvement. All right. Um, okay, and uh, uh, MR said the worst discussion of biolabs that uh, uh, are Russia's uh, doorstep. Did I miss it? Okay, yeah. So actually, it will. I asked this question about the biolabs to P- Professor Hansen, so he will Stay answer that. There. Yeah, mm-hmm. and probably Ang, you said it's so wealthy. Okay, so many properties, um, so successful, and uh, so highly educated, but no food. No freedom to go out to get necessities. No human rights. Yes, precisely true. Okay, so that's only the material things. When you don't even have your freedom, you don't have a free, you know, free spirit, right? Then your your life is cut in half. Yeah, and I read some report on how you know why they are just supposed so much um, emphasis on emphasis on the Shanghai. Yeah. The COVID lockdown, mm-hmm. right? And it seems to be, you know, it's a power struggle. Because in Shanghai, uh, the they never really used the complete lockdown, mm-hmm. like the COVID zero, COVID zero policy. They have had some kind of a deviation from that. They call it it's a dynamic uh, zero Clearance. Clearance, okay. Because uh, what they say is they will be, it's not like for everybody to, you know, to uh, zero zero COVID. What they said is that we will just to be very uh, precise Mm. on which area or which district or which community. Precise control. Right. However, um, it seems, you know, because of the total zero policy is from the federal, like the central government. government. So there, will, there seems to be power struggle behind it. Yeah, and that's why this time, uh, there are like uh, leaders from the central government coming to, uh, came to, already came to uh, Shanghai uh, for this issue. So yeah, so really for uh, Chinese Communist Party, the COVID, the pandemic is not only the political uh, disease for them, you know, to, to show how the um, the superiority of the um, totalitarian system than the Western free world, but also among its own parties' power struggle. Mm-hmm. So it's very complicated in China. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So. And the Luis Fernandez, uh, Fernandez, you said uh, we love uh, Victor Hansen. So, all okay. right. Yeah. So yeah, we, we do. Let's move on to his, uh, you know, the newest interview, which has happened a few hours ago. Let's let's see. You, yeah. You know. So just uh, uh, give you know some a little bit updates on the related to the war. Today, U.S. and Europe decided to sanction Putin's daughters and the two large banks. And on the other hand, the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen today testified before the House Financial Service Committee, and uh, she warned that um, a complete ban on Russia oil would cause great pain to consumers around the world. And she said the problem with preventing Russian oil exports is that many countries, 
especially European countries, are very dependent on this oil. And if we do ban oil completely, we could see price rock, uh, skyrocketing. Okay, so that's her um, testimonial. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and but uh, you know, largely I asked um, Professor Victor Hansen about where we are standing right now with this war. Uh, where are we? You know, where it's going, and uh, the, especially there are different uh, opinions uh, on this war among you know uh, fellow Americans, including our among our viewers. So, yeah, this is a part, the first part of the interview. So, yeah, without further ado, let's go for it. How are you? Very good, thank you. Uh, great to have you again. Thank you. Let's first talk about the war in Ukraine. So, at this moment, uh, where is it going? And people are all talking about uh, when it's going to end or it will, how long it will last. So, what's your opinion on that? It's very funny to read these very wide divergent um, predictions. Some people say it's a month. Some people say it's several months. And they, they disagree over a couple of issues. One is they think that because Russian forces have suffered 15 to 20,000 dead and have around Kiev and other places in the center of Ukraine been rendered, rendered combat ineffective, they're back in Belarus or Russia being refitted. And now they're only concentrating on the borders and the Crimean shore. Uh, and they're trying to destroy by air the cities of eastern Ukraine, that that represents a defeat for Russia. And when you add in the sanctions that are strictest we've ever seen, supposedly time then is not on Putin's side. In other words, each day he's there, he loses troops. The other school says, he can lose all he wants, but he has a population almost uh, four times larger than Ukraine. It's about 100, uh, about almost five times. Well, it's 145 million versus 43 million before the war. His territory is, I don't know, somewhere around 30 times as large. The GDP is 10 times, or it's much, much larger. So he has unlimited resources vis-a-vis -vis Ukraine, and they and he, they have no way as of yet stopping the aerial destruction. So each day, this school suggests that the war goes on. Ukraine being outmanned will get um, become weaker and weaker. I don't know what is true, but it seems to me right now it's all about the Ukrainian ability to stop Russian missile and bombing attacks on its major cities in the center of the East. And if they can stop that, they can win the, the battle on the ground. But to stop that, they're going to, their SAMs and the Stingers are not sophisticated enough at higher altitudes to knock down Russian bombers and missiles. And they need something like a Patriot battery. But to supply Patriot batteries to the Ukrainians are to send in Soviet era MiGs from Eastern European countries. Putin has already said that would be an escalation of the war and then NATO countries would be vulnerable. So we don't know exactly what's going to happen. So we're in a stalemate now, a war of attrition. And everybody agrees, including Putin, that the initial idea that you were going to annex half of Ukraine is over with. That didn't work. The casualties are much higher than anticipated. 
And the only question is now, what does he want to do with the Crimean shore and the borderlands? I think he wants to annex them. They're probably no more than he had at the beginning of the war, but I think he will declare victory soon by telling the Russian people, I essentially have destroyed half of Ukraine and I can do it anytime I want to the other half. They didn't stop me. And now we can live in peace by annexing the Russian speaking uh, borderlands and Ukraine will take 30 years to rebuild. I think that's the strategy. As the United States, uh, you know, increased the uh, sanction and do, yes. yeah. So how do you think such kind of uh, uh, sanction could have impact? Well, they would have an, a, a very severe impact, except the United States in early 2020 was the largest producer of gas and oil in the world at over 13 million barrels of oil. But we not only stopped the projected rate of increase, we would be about now at about 16 million barrels, but we cut back on them by canceling ANWR and new federal leases and jawboning lending institutions not to loan to frackers horizontal drillers, and then we canceled pipelines, we jawboned the Mediterranean pipeline project that was underway with Greece, Cyprus, and Israel. And so the world is short of oil, and Putin gets $1.7 billion a day in oil revenues, and that's very leaky. So we can talk about the sanctions all we want, but when Western Europeans are dependent on about 60% of their energy from either the Middle East or Russia, you can see that there are no position to dictate terms to Putin. And a lot of countries, India, especially in China, are importing vast amounts of Russian fuel. So the sanctions are not hurting them in the way that they want. We don't know where the invisible line of help stops. Um, our interest being the United States and also Europe and the West in general are not exactly identical with those of Ukraine. In other words, we all want Ukraine to win. We think Russian, uh, the invasion was atrocious. It was near barbaric. We want to send as many javelins. Uh, we should have sent harpoon missiles that have a shore to sea capability that would have stopped ships coming into the Black Sea ports. But because Putin seems to be erratic or he feigns to be erratic and has told us that there were certain things that we cannot do, such as send in pilots to enforce a no-fly zone or to bring in an American or even former Soviet aircraft or to bring in Patriot batteries that would have really knocked down a lot. Then we have so far followed that threat and we have not done so. I don't think the Ukrainians will be able to stop the aerosols until they have Patriot batteries. And I think that Putin is bluffing on that but at some point he's not bluffing and we don't know where that point is and by saying bluff not bluffing he's fully capable if he feels that there's no off-ramp to you know let off a tactical nuclear weapon in poland or somewhere uh, on the border that uh, romania any country that is supplying uh, ukraine with nato weapons mm. yeah so talking about um the sanction then agenda Yellen today at uh, the hearing in the Congress, she's warning, you know, because we sanctioned uh, Russia exporting the oil, it's gonna have uh, impact on the uh, gas price. 
oil price in the United States and around the world. So, um, yeah, w w what's your take on that? Well, the problem we're having in Europe, the United States, it, and I think more particularly in the United States, is we've been told by the left for years that Stephen Chu was a good example, the energy secretary under Obama. They wanted high prices. And in fact, he had been so explicit as saying he wanted European level prices, which then was about $10 a gallon. And when he was, when the election of 2008 was won by Obama, he was asked about his designate energy secretary Chu's statement. And Obama said, I, I, I just want it to be gradual, meaning he agreed with that. And then we've had Joe Biden saying that he wanted all fossil fuels eliminated. He said that two or three times during the campaign. So there's a suspicion among the American people that when their governor or their president here in California, Newsom or, or Biden, uh, says that they're worried about prices, they're only worried about it because it might lose them the midterm in terms of electability. But Otherwise, they're secretly delighted because they feel that that reduces uh, carbon footprints and it makes so-called battery cars or wind and solar more competitive. And so that's the problem. They're talking now, Newsom's talking about giving everybody who owns a car $400 or Biden's talk, talking about a million barrels a day from the petroleum reserve. But you can see they're not sincere, they're disingenuous, because if they really worried about the American commuter, all Biden would have to do was immediately open Anwar up, finish the Keystone Pipeline, they could do it in nine months, open up all federal lands for new oil leasing, and we could get another two or three million barrels and break Russia and crash the price. And then here in California, we have the six largest uh, oil and gas reserves of the 50 states. We've got a lot of untapped gas offshore. We've got a long lot down by Bakersfield. We have the entire Monterey Basin natural gas field we haven't touched. And so it's a very bizarre logic that Newsom has embraced. It's almost as if he's saying, I don't like hot, dirty natural gas and oil. They're incorrect fuel. But I want to give everybody who owns a car $400 so you can go out and buy more of these fuels that I don't like. And that, so that's incoherent. And it's transparently political. He's basically saying, the subtext is, I want to eliminate all fossil fuels. And that will make life miserable for most of Californians. But I haven't cared about that. I've pushed ahead. We have added the highest taxes in the country. We have had highest fuel additive surcharges. I didn't care about the price that affected you. Now it's got so high that I have to do something temporarily so you don't vote me or my party out of office. And that's where we are. And talking about the other thing is the food shortage. They are also mm -hmm. warning, oh, the food shortage will be severe, you know, will be coming because of the sanction on Russia. Uh, but on the other hand, like you said, you know, in California, nuisance uh, talking about asking the farmers not to grow the rice because we have a water shortage. So how do you put these all two together? Well, 70% of our um, fertilizers, whether that's, you know, ammonia-based fertilizers or nitrogen-based 
or calcium nitrate or calcium sulfate, whatever hydrogen sulfate, they're all 70% of them come from natural gas and oils. And so when the price goes up, they soar. And then added to that, about 70% of our the world supply of these nitrogen-based fertilizers are in Ukraine and Russia, also in Norway and Scandinavia. So we're not self-sufficient. We could be if we had wanted to, but again, the, the environmentalists have blocked new fertilizer plants. As far as water goes, you, we have something called the California Water Project. It's on the books. It's been there for 60 years. All we would have had to do is finish it and we would have got about 11 million acre feet in tertiary reservoirs at the Sites Reservoir in the Sa on the Sacramento River, the Los Banos Grandes on the aqueduct, and also the Temperance Flat Reservoir in the San Joaquin River. And if we had that two years ago in our last wet year, we wouldn't be in this situation. Or, contrarily, if we just told the environmentalists we're not going to send out water through the Sacramento Delta, San Joaquin Delta, out to the ocean to replenish the Delta smelt or to pay $70,000 per salmon to see if we can experiment with a new salmon run to the Sierras. But instead, we're going to fill up San Luis reservoirs, three and a half million acre feet. We're going to fill up the other reservoirs on the Sacramento River, and we're going to get the aqueduct full capacity, and no water is going out to sea in a drought, and then we would be okay. But we took a drought and we made it much worse. So that that's our problem. Yeah. So coming back to the war and the, you mentioned how you know some of uh, our fellow Americans are very su suspicious about this war, how United States involving and. Um, I think, you know, the energy food shortage part is one of the reasons, but there are other reasons like, uh, so some people believe that um, um, U.S. are so supportive of U Ukraine and uh, against Russia is because United States has, government has bio labs there in the Ukraine, how Ukraine killed uh, like uh, some uh, 13,000 Russians. So they believe that uh, Putin's, uh, narrative of rhetoric of uh, he's de-Nazi-nizing Ukraine. How do yeah, you think very, of this? Yeah, I think people, there is a divide. The majority, I'm just looking at the polls, 70% of Americans support uh, President Zelensky. And the 30 that are suspicious either are ideologically isolationists. It's not that they don't like Russia or they don't like Ukraine or they like either one. They just don't want to get involved in an overseas optional war. And then about 10 or 15% are on the right and they feel Putin, they, they admire him or in 15% on the left and they admire Zelensky as a Democrat, etc. But most people support them. Where the problem I think everybody is having is if you ask the majority of the American people, they say we need, we would like Putin to be defeated. We would like him to go back with a weaker military. We would like him to learn not to intervene in other nations' affairs. But we want all that to happen without risking a nuclear war or without risking American lives or without expanding the conventional warfare to Poland 
or Romania or Slovakia or Hungary. And therefore, we will not send, you know, certain types of weapons that he has he's said that that would cause a wider expansion of the war. And so it's kind of mutually exclusive. If you want Ukraine to win, then you're going to have to give them the types of weapons that would give them air supremacy. If you do that, you may run the risk of having a nuclear detonation somewhere, or you may have our NATO allies attacked, and then under Article 5 of the Alliance Protocol, we might have to come to the assistance and end up fighting Russians directly. So we're at an impasse, and that's why it's the war... Everybody says, well, Putin's been defeated. He's withdrawing. I think the war is getting more complex now and maybe more lengthy because his now his strategy is to destroy eastern Ukraine. He has to show something to the Russian people. He can't say in a week, okay, I stopped. I never really wanted to go into Kiev or Mariupol. I just wanted to show them that I was able to, and I now I have taken the eastern borderlands and their puppet Russian governments, and I've destroyed a lot of Ukraine. And if he says that, the Russian people are going to think, well, wait a minute, that's all you had when the, before the war started. So you're telling me my son died so you can just, what, describe as Russian or pro-Russian what, what already was Russian and pro-Russian? And you destroyed Ukraine, but we had a lot of business in Ukraine. We had a lot of our economy was integrated with Ukraine. Why did you do this? So he's he's in a he's going to try to lash out and blame people for his own miscalculation. It's a very dangerous time right now. And when you throw other countries that are watching the whole thing, like Iran and China, into the mix, it's very important the United States not appear weak, and yet not get too bogged down anywhere because our military is kind of politicized and woke and we're reconstructing it. So, and we're looking at, you know, rampant inflation, a a likely recession by the end of the year. So this has got everybody worried. So I follow up uh, the question about the U.S. bio labs uh, in Ukraine uh, with the Professor Hansen and ask him, you know, whether he knows about it and also whether this is uh, one of the reasons that uh, Putin uh, had this war on Ukraine. Do you know, is yeah. this true? Or? Well, I mean, we have no idea. We know that after the, after the breakup of the Soviet Union, that it had a lot of weapons facility, it had nuclear weapons, it had biological weapons in Ukraine. We got rid of the nuclear weapons. And that was very quickly. And so we thought that the bio labs were gone, that we got rid of them too. And then suddenly we learned that there's, there's still labs and where everybody's saying, well, uh, we know they dismantled their nuclear weapons, Ukraine did. So why are they, didn't they dismantle the biological weapons? And then it would have been easy to dispel those worries in a congressional hearing of Victoria Newland our special envoy to Eastern Europe and Ukraine, when she was asked that question, she should have just said what I did. She just should have said, well, we're going to investigate why that's happened, because they should be. But she didn't. She looked like a deer in the headlights. She stuttered. She's angered. She she looked frustrated. She looked scared. And that prompted more rumors that maybe these labs, uh, after they had finished their initial use, that is, they were no longer producing germs, 
then maybe they were storing them or maybe they were doing investigations like Wuhan. And so all we need to know is that's not true. Nobody knows, but it's the administration's guilt about being transparent that has that fueled these rumors. But Putin is not just invading to destroy those, right? No, I don't think so. No, I think that was Russian propaganda. He's just, he's invading Ukraine because it's got the largest uh, wheat potential or production in Europe. It's got a lot of natural gas. It's right on its border. It does not want it to be a westernized, successful Germany or France right next to um, the Soviet, former Soviet Union. And he knows that if Ukraine successfully breaks away and becomes pro-Western and then he doesn't know what to do with Belarus or, or Georgia or Chechnya or all these other uh, provinces. And he's also, I mean, he said that, you know, they had 280 million people in the Soviet Union and they lost 30% of their territory and they lost 100 million people that have been divorced from, from Russia. So he wants all that back. And he thought it would be very easy. He's taken it in Georgia. He's taken it. He's taken it in Crimea. He's taken it in eastern Ukraine, and he destroyed Chechnya to get it back. But he only acts when he thinks we're weak, and he thinks Joe Biden was weak, and so he he, he didn't do any of this during the four years of the Trump administration. He thought Trump was crazy or unpredictable or too strong. I don't know what it was, but he behaved, but not during the Obama administration, and not during the Biden. Okay, yeah, so that's the first part of my interview with uh, Professor Hansen. Actually, I asked him more question about uh, why, you know, actually in the United States, people do have uh, different opinions on this war. Uh, for example, those uh, mainstream media, all of a sudden they are very so coherent on the rhetoric on this war, right? So that makes people suspicious. And uh, also other questions, um, I very, you know, I really wanted to get uh, an analysis from Professor Hansen. So it's uh, um, another part I will be sharing with you next time. It's uh, very insightful. I hope it will, you know, you will feel the same way. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's, um, that's it. The interview for today now yeah it's, it's always great to hear um you know the, the hear from uh, yeah <coughs> professor hansen for his wisdom and uh, we'll be you know hearing more of that and um, in at uh, next show all right so Wolfgang, you uh, Wolfgang, uh day you yeah, uh, thank you for your support yeah twice today yeah actually. you wishing wishing the best guys that's your what you wrote yeah, thank you very much. The next one is a little challenging here. Okay, <laughs> let me read it. Okay, well, we have a joke for tonight's show. Uh, okay, since we since you asked, so we have to do this for you. Okay. How about that? Yeah, and also Hollis too. He already yeah. reminded you again. So I owe a lot of that. How about I tell three jokes? Wow. <laughs> okay, That's Tony, stay ready. All right. So again, this is about Russia. Okay, you may you may have heard this, but I think. It doesn't hurt to tell tell it again. So in Russia, you know, when when you lose things, you put posts there, right? Mm -hmm. On the like, um, how to say, power power pole and some things like that. Oh, just post to let people know it's broken. Yeah, that was okay. the Russia who who lost a beautiful parrot. Mm. All right. So he put the post. That's the only way. There's no you know cell phone and social media and so on and so forth. That's the only way that uh, he can 
you can send out the notice. So he just post those, uh, you know, the, those uh, how to say search notice mm. on the, all over the city. And in, in it, he wrote, "I lost a beautiful parrot, so please help return her to me. Should you find it?" Um, one disclamation. I don't agree to her political point of view. <laughs> and they're talking about jokes, you know. It's, it's easy to tell joke in America, but it's very, very dangerous to tell joke in China or the Russia. Yeah. All right, there's a court judge, okay, who couldn't hold off his, uh, his laughter when he stepped into the back office of the courtroom. You know, in China, there's always, you know, this, the back room where the party having meeting, party committee. Okay, the courtroom is you know, on, on the front. Every decision has been made in the back room, and the judge only go out to announce it. Okay, mm. so his fellow colleagues was asking him, "So what's so funny? Tell me about it." The judge responded, "Are you kidding me? How, how can I do that? I just gave this guy ten years in labor camp for that joke." <laughs> okay, so this come to come to how to measure. You know, what's the measurement for jokes? Okay. You think? Just by, by, by number? No, no. In China, we don't measure jokes by, by numbers. There's different type of measurement. Okay, just like inch for the length and, uh, you know, pound and, uh, how to say, um, kilos for the, for the weight, right? Mm -hmm. So in China, so if you ask somebody, so, so do you have a hobby, um, John? Let's say John's Chinese name, okay? Do you have a hobby, John? So of course, I collect jokes, you know, all by myself. How many have you got? Oh, uh, two and a half labor camps already. <laughs> That's the measurement. That's the measurement of jokes in China and Russia. All right, I hope that will <laughs> pay yeah. the debt that I have a long, long old, okay? Okay, yeah, yeah, there are a lot of uh, uh, discussion and comments. Uh, probably we don't have time to go through all of these today. Um, I, I did notice on the safe chat actually, uh, Louis uh, shared a few, you know, pictures, and one of them is a news. It's a news about California again. So in California, actually, uh, one of the cities in California, Palm Spring, mm. the city council just uh, unanimously passed uh, a resolution last week mm -hmm. saying that they will um, give the transgenders and the uh, binary, non-binary people, universal basic income, mm. up to $900, if they are below the poverty okay. level. But what about the non-binary? Non-binary, Non-binary. Transgender and the non-binary okay. What about other people? Residents? Do no. they also got it? No. Oh, they're, they're specially treated. Right, they are I specially see. treated. They will spend, they set aside total $200,000 for this uh, pilot program. So. Isn't that discriminatory? You know, all poor people, the same poor people, even mm. if you are African-American mm. or Asian-American, you won't get this mm. if you are not identified as a transgender or mm -hmm. non-binary. Okay, okay, at least for you to know, right? For our alertness, for our vigil you know, vigility. Um, all right. Right, so that will be all for tonight. Thank you very much for being with us. You know, you're a great audience. I see your type there. Yeah, just uh, your your message. I've been reading that, and thank you very much. And uh, yeah, making sure you press like, and if you haven't haven't done so, um, yeah, spread our yeah. videos. Yeah, and it's especially thank you for your donation and uh, Wolfgang and. Uh, yeah, I always have a little hard time to say Pronounce your full name. The full name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, Theo 
Theophrastus. Okay. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you very much. All right, take care. All right, I'll see you Friday. the day after. Yes. All right, good night. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.